I don't know what's real. I don't know what's not real. Limited Capacity is a collection of six darkly amusing stories about the mysterious ways we interact with the internet and with each other. There's something going on with him. It's like an act. I don't trust him. What? You're staring at me like I should say something, but I don't really know what to do here. That's the whole name of the game. Don't talk about how the town isn't real. Do you understand? Limited Capacity. Available now on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. Uh, I feel like a, a portion or a large portion of the conversation today is going to revolve around this notion of vaccine hesitancy, which is a term that is quite new, I think, you know, like for us in the in the in the like everyday vernacular of, of life um, yeah. due to COVID-19. And so uh, actually it wasn't wasn't that long ago where we had a conversation on the podcast with a, a doctor about the difference between vaccine hesitancy and like anti-vaccination, mm-hmm. which are two very different things. Um, and so I came out of that, I came out of that conversation with like kind of with this mantra, like repeating to myself, like vaccine hesitancy is important. Like we should all have some degree of vaccine hesitancy. And then um, Evie, I I came across uh, the the campaign here in their own voices, and it started to like. It started to again like shift my 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 internal dialogue of like what does vaccine hesitancy mean, and although yes maybe it's important to have some semblance of vaccine hesitancy, maybe there's such thing as having too much that that isn't necessarily anti-vax, but also potentially problematic. And I feel like this is kind of the lane we're going to be going down today. Correct me if I'm wrong. But Evie, why don't you take a moment to introduce yourself and then maybe just let our listeners know um, what is in their own voices and and how did this all start? Hey, yeah. So I'm Evie Kwong. I'm an audience editor at The Star. So basically, um, my whole thing is to ensure that we get more people to read The Star, but also it comes from a big place of passion. Um, growing up as someone who didn't see news uh, that represented myself and my family, we didn't really read newspapers. And it's kind of funny that I work at one now. Um, but <laughs> it's because that's my mission to really like get the message out there. And I think more so than ever, um, you know, especially in a pandemic, information and communication is so vital. And I think it's something we are missing so much of um, mm. because people take uh, information in their own way. And especially with uh, people of color and racialized communities, uh, we haven't been the best represented and also haven't gotten information to them easily. So in a pandemic, you can see how this is be a crazy situation. Mm. Um, I'm also the editor of In Their Own Voices, which is actually a larger op-ed column based uh <clears throat> I guess it's a column section that I run that focuses on identity and racialized voices, but also is open to a lot of different things, you know, celebrating things, not just always the hard inequity things, um, but all that encompassing. But this project that really got people in their own voices, including in their own languages to explain why they got the vaccine, you know, people aged 22 all the way to 94, 
Um, some were LTC workers, some were LTC residents, some were just ordinary people. Uh, the whole point was to give that kind of friendly neighborhood nudge to be like, hey, I got the vaccine. This is how I feel. I hope you get the agency or using these videos. It kind of helps you make a decision for yourself. Mm. Um, you know, it was really important for me that it wasn't a campaign that was like, get it now. And uh, at the end, everybody goes like says one singular phrase that's like, go get your vaccine. It's more so getting that really real account and getting people to you know, perhaps in Cantonese or in Mandarin or even in, you know, Punjabi, if they don't speak English as a first language, have someone there to be like, I got the vaccine. This is how I feel. If it is a healthcare professional, this is what I know about it. And this is why I feel confident about it. And that's why it's kind of getting the medium and the right people to tell those people the mm. message. Yeah. I mean, like just, just scrolling through um, and, and for people who, who want to see it, um, it is on the stars website. Um, uh but like, you know, it's it's just a series of these like these short little videos of of folks from from all backgrounds. And, you know, you've got I've got there's like someone speaking in French, someone in Hindi, Punjabi, Cantonese, Mandarin, uh, Urdu. Like it's a, it's it just goes on a Japanese, uh, Russian. Um, and I, I'm, I mean, I guess I'm curious to know, like, what has been the what has been the response like have you have you gotten much of a much of a response from from the community that that this is something that is like having a positive effect yeah definitely i think it's uh i mean it's most it's the way i made this is how i'm going to do it with my own parents right i'm going to create this and maybe they're not on the star right now but i'm like hey look there's someone speaking cantonese maybe that will, you know, help your fears around this vaccine or that vaccine. And that's really how I saw it working. Um, you know, I work on the social desk as well. So we also isolated some of these videos and social them too. So whether you are, you have parents that speak Urdu and they're like, oh, look, someone is that looks like us and represents us and speaks our language uh, is talking about the vaccine and why we shouldn't be afraid to get it. Um, one thing I also, uh, so the reception has been really great. A lot of doctors, especially doctors that treat patients in equitable situations, whether they're street doctors or, you know, those that help a certain population. And in Ontario, we have an area in Peel that's doing quite poorly because a lot of the workers there, South Asian, are working in factories and don't have paid sick leave at this moment and, you know, continued on with that kind of stuff. But mm. they're the ones that need to be addressed more because most of the outbreaks are happening there. So it's been really receptive. And thank you to a lot of the doctors and the healthcare professionals that got the message out there and participated because without that, that would not be a possible thing. Um, but one caveat I want to add is that we also translated it in English because we thought that these groups or these people and the challenges they face perhaps with just vaccines or just their culture um, could be opened up to a wider audience and whether the mainstream audience knew, you know, the Cantonese or Chinese community had this kind of fear or indigenous communities had that kind of fear. It's from their own voices. So you can also, as an English speaking person who doesn't look like maybe anyone in this video, um, learn a lot about that person and maybe more about their culture, which is something that was also kind of like a kill two birds with one stone kind of thing, really mm -hmm. trying to get the like understand the culture because each of them have different cultural sensitivities. Um, vaccine hesitancy is also among white people too. That's not, uh, that's definitely not what I'm saying. That's just among racialized people, but perhaps there's not as much resources for other people to use um, to get more information on how they could get agency to choose if they want the vaccine or not. Yeah. And that was like, that was what you, that how you just said that it's not, it's not, it's not only racialized communities that are, that are having vaccine hesitancy. It's everybody. But I think something that was really that 
is really interesting. Um, uh, within within uh, the community, people of color and, and racialized communities that we learned over the past year, that I learned over the past year for sure, was that when it came to the vaccines, it seemed like like there was all these uh, all these things started to bubble to the surface of 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 why that is and how and like the history of how people have been uh, treated differently in the healthcare system. Yeah, like the and, mistrust in yeah, in our in and the like, system. Yeah, exactly. And how those and how those you know seeds of mistrust are sown. You know, within within communities. You know, whether it was uh, you know we learned about like the way that uh, the way that. Uh, black people were treated uh, in the in like studies in the twenties and, mm-hmm. and having trials done against their will and stuff like that, and so it's like you, you start to when we start to talk about um, vaccine hesitancy and then you add that to the lens to look through, you start to understand a lot more of of you know this is this isn't just people sitting around going. I you know I don't trust big pharma or something. It's, yeah, it's yeah. so much. It's so much. It's so much. It's so, much, yeah. so much deeper than that. So, it's, it, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, no, no. I so, was I was just going to elaborate on that, but go ahead. Like, so I guess I guess the question is is like is, um, what are what are some of you know like like some of the biggest driving forces that you see, um, you know whether it's in uh uh the black community or Asian community or um or you know, whatever it is, what are some of the biggest driving forces that are that are driving vaccine hesitancy that, that make what you're doing with this uh, project uh, uh, necessary. I think there's a, so one thing I, I learned too myself is I know why there's hesitancy perhaps in my community, which is the Chinese community. I know how they communicate, I know how the parents go on WhatsApp, like right from the beginning, there was like crazy articles going around and it's not really their fault. They don't really have other resources, right? They don't have anyone mm. else being like, this is what's happening. So the misinformation is, wildly spread on whatsapp every time i get a ping on that i'm like oh my god like i can't even look because i remember early on someone sent something like if you drink lemon water like hot lemon water your chances i'm like no that's not how it works and i (laughs) i almost want to be like oh my god and it's funny because it's so almost like wow who's spreading this but it happens so much and not just within um vaccines or covid but even before that so it's forever been an issue and that's why i think a lot of things you bring up They've already been there. So like, you know, the black communities feeling historically uh, not funded, not cared for. Also, uh, the problem with police as well. It's always Mm -hmm. been there. But COVID just escalates everything more like all the inequities come out. So that's from my community. That's something I knew. Um, A lot of things that I I knew of, but obviously I can't have that lived experience of speaking with indigenous doctors who did a lot of the lot of the vaccines up north and saying like, so at their actual vaccine clinics, there's so many processes there. There's elders there. There's They smudge the vials of the actual vaccines. Um, they do all those cultural sensitive things to ensure that they can give agency to their people, you know, yeah. a people that has been through forced sterilizations and all these awful types of testing. You know, indigenous people have always been part, like that's a history mm. that they had to hold on to. Mm. Mm-hmm. And so I think the first video I put in that video series, and it was not by chance. It's uh, from Ron McClester, who is Oneida. And he also, uh, you know, he was speaking about how all the problems of how difficult it was for him to make that decision. I didn't want to like, just be like, go get the vaccine. Yay. I got it. I'm fine. I want him to address like the historical issues of why it was so hard for him. So Mm. that first video was difficult to watch. And it's something that like, it's different from the Chinese community. There's different histories, but specifically with this uh, forced sterilization vaccine, whatever, that's not something in our community that we 
understand or know of a lot. So (laughs) all the circumstances are different. With the black community, there's also been reports where people have spoken to me and been like, you know, my parents have been in the hospital at like their life and death situation, waiting in the waiting room and the doctors or the healthcare professionals there are like, oh, you're probably just drunk or you're probably just whatever. And some of these situations are fatal and it's something that I've never been through personally or, you know, I've seen maybe a different type in my own community, but it's like there's so many different factors and there's so many different reasons why people are feeling this way. So it really varies. And what has really I've seen worked is that operation with Indigenous people. I think it's in Ontario, but it's called (coughs) Operation Remote Immunity. And really, it's so specific in the way that all the healthcare workers there are Indigenous. And let's just say you are hesitant the day you go because of your history. um, They actually don't mind if you uh, come back the next day. They actually Mm. say that. They're like, you can come back the next day. That kind of patience is something that the Indigenous community really values, of course, after like years of and decades and centuries of this kind of history. So Mm. um, it varies so much. But I also want to add that the way we also cover white communities with um, whether it's anti-vax, whether it's vaccine hesitancy, it exists and it shouldn't be seen as a phenomena. Like, you know, Mm. when we have people down the street in Toronto and Alberta, like protesting at those churches being like freedom, like no vax or whatever, Mm. like it shouldn't be seen as a one-off event. Like it happens throughout. And even in those margins, that might be in a really extreme margin. There are people who are white. They're also in between. They're like, I don't really know. I feel kind of nervous. And we see that with, AstraZeneca people 55 and up were like, I don't know. It it wasn't just racialized communities. It was also white communities too. So we need to find a better way of just like understanding the cultural sensitivities, especially that's why the piece was emphasized to the racialized community and others because there aren't as many resources out there, really. Mm favorite one-hit wonder or that overpriced toy your parents would never let you have or that tv show that no one else remembers because it was canceled way too soon now what if we could fix it i'm francesca ramsey and i'm delon grant and after 20 years of friendship we are now hosting a new nostalgia podcast called let me fix it each episode we'll dig into our favorite celebrities shows and brands of yesteryear and then imagine what it would take to repackage them for relevance today think of our show as an intervention but with way less stakes. So subscribe to Let Me Fix It wherever you get your favorite podcasts. It's it's um it's it's wild that like to think of the pandemic as like the distribution of of vaccines was all was like initially seen as this insane logistical sort of feat that had to be accomplished and um it's it's wild that all of the effort was sort of focused on the logistics. But if you, even if you distribute all of the vaccines to every community, if there's not the right sort of information provided or support materials provided with the vaccine, mm-hmm. how difficult yeah. like you can't, you can't force people <laughs> to take the vaccine. So you have to be considerate of all of the, you know, sort of cultural sensitivities to whether or not somebody would be, willing to take this vaccination or not so it's, yeah, there's it's, so many like layers the other is, than just the logistical which, like which how the focus do we get it was out? like yeah. only on yeah. the logistics yeah. and yeah. it's like yeah but what if nobody takes <clears throat> it like what if these people don't take it it hearing hearing like just hearing you talk about this sort of thing uh it it reminds me of of, of like the amount of times we'd have we've had conversations on the podcast where we we're talking about like some sort of social issue 
that is taking place within the world of like health sciences. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes, especially when we're having these conversations, when it's, when it's geared towards um, uh, racialized communities, marginalized communities, it's, there's this almost this, I don't, I don't know if I'm, I, I'm, if it's just me, but I think I can like speak for the three of us when I say that like, there's almost this feeling of like, um, <laughs> like hopelessness where I'm just like, mm. Jesus Christ, like how the fuck do we, how the fuck do we f- fix something like this? Like how, mm. how do we, how do we, how do we surmount something so what something that seems so insurmountable? And then I hear you, Evie, come on and talk about this, this project that you started with in their own voices. And, and I'm, I'm, it's like, oh yeah, that's it. That <laughs> that's helps a, a ton. That's a really great idea. Like, is that is yeah. there like what was the what was the catalyst to the idea? Like, was this something that you was this something that formed from just conversations at the office kind of thing, or was this like a was this a much more like personal on a more personal note of something that you you felt the the absolute need to kind of like tackle. I felt like, to be honest, like I crafted it as a passion project. I didn't have a big team and it really started with me. Um, I'm just someone who's obsessed with getting new people on the star whenever I can, Mm. because I don't want to see the same people, same expert. It doesn't, doesn't help expand our audience. And it's not just about the numbers. It's about really getting news out to people. But I just thought about myself and I'm like, if someone's trying to, I'm on the fence about something. If someone's trying to tell me, you know, why they got it and why I should get it. I'm going to hear it from my homie. Like, I'm not going to get it from like some person I don't really trust or whatever. Like I need that security. And I know my mom would like that as well. And I just seeing my own parents and then talking to my friends, you know, whether they're black or indigenous or of any other background, like the, the, the friend connection is so strong. Like, you know, like Mm. there might be an idea there. Like if like, I don't know, like Canadian, a really popular Canadian artist out there, but like it gets it that there's a lot of work being done there, right? Like people are like, oh, they got it. Like Shania Twain got it. That's awesome. I want to get it. But like Mm. my mom doesn't know who Shania Twain is. And I think a lot of people don't (laughs) know that. And it's like they didn't listen to that. So like having those kind of influencers that are too much in the mainstream, like that's fine. I think that's helpful. But we need to really like help those who just need a little bit of information to understand. The thing that I really want to like stress is like, you know, vaccine hesitancy, again, like we talk about, is not just, a, it's not a racialized issue. And I think a lot of people were feeling like, oh my God, please don't blame us for this again. You know, please, it's not that we won't, you know, there's so many complexities behind it. And we're actually seeing like a really great turnout at Jane and Finch, which is a really racialized area. Mm-hmm. And um, there's people waiting hours and camped outside. It snowed yesterday in Toronto and they camped outside waiting where it's like thousands of people long. And so it is the issue, but I think the community is doing so much and it's really powered by the people. Um, And so that's where it came from. Like, I was just like, I need someone to help amplify what I would think would work for me and my friends and what stuff we've talked about um, by getting someone who is just the average person. They're not a politician. They're not a whatever. Um, They're a healthcare worker, sure, but they're nurses or PSWs or anything, you know, just Mm. like in between, just to be like, uh, yo, this is why I got it. This is how I felt. This is what my message to my community is and whatever it is. And if you want to take it, take it. If you don't, like, I hope more videos can help you and stuff like that. Mm So that's really where that all came from. Just knowing that, like, even among your friends, you're going to listen maybe to your friends a bit more than this like stingy politician that people are like, mm. I don't oh, know. Yeah. Like, can we trust them? You know? Yeah. 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 I mean, if you've got, if you've got a group of, if you've got a group, a friend group of 10 and all of you have been sort of 
uh, throwing around these sentiments of hesitation around the vaccine, and then one of you is, one of you decides to get it. I mean, that's gonna me- that's gonna make at least a handful of that group mm-hmm. go. Hmm, maybe I'm thinking yeah. a little bit differently yeah, now. Totally. And then and then like it's a do- <clears throat> it, it is a domino effect. And once you see like, oh, that person got the vaccine, and and oh, now they've got it, and you know, it's been a month, and uh, you know, they didn't, you know, turn into a zombie or whatever the fuck. You know, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And, and now I'm more likely to, uh, and now I'm more likely to get it. It's it's funny because I I saw that happen with my mom and her friend group. Um, my mm-hmm. mom was uh, eligible to get the AstraZeneca vaccine, and it was yeah. like it was like three. Her appointment for her first uh, vaccination was like three days after the blood clot news oh, came out. Yeah. And, yeah. and so she was like, I don't know, I should maybe, should I cancel my appointment? And I was like, Hey, like we had just had a conversation, I think about vaccine hesitancy. And so I was talking to my mom about it and I was saying like, Hey, listen, it's, it's okay for you to feel hesitant, yeah. but like, if you have questions, ask them. So <clears throat> anyway, so she started uh, asking more questions about it, but then her friends and her friend group were all like, we're not fucking getting it. And they, yeah. they like basically decided that they weren't going to get it. So, Anyway, my mom goes and gets the vaccine and uh, I was like, did you tell your friends that you got it? And she was like, no, I like I don't want I don't want them to look at me like I made a stupid decision or something like I don't <laughs> want them to judge me. And I was like, tell them opposite. Tell, way. Opposite. tell them yeah. because you know, I think around. if you tell them that you did, then I think you'd that be they a lot will, cooler so, if you did. So, man. so anyway, <laughs> she she told them and uh, a week later they all got vaccinated, too. Yeah. And, and yeah, right, so, like totally. actually. And she was like, I think it actually helped. Yeah. It helped them. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, yeah, for sure. If like if I didn't want the vaccine yeah. and one of my friends said, hey, I, I think I'm going to get vaccinated. Yeah. Then I would start to change my I mind. I mean, this this right here and and also what what you were speaking to earlier, Evie, it, I, I and. Can you can you just speak to us uh, a little bit about what your thoughts are on the importance and the and the value of storytelling in in the in the realm of like especially of of uh, news media um, yeah. because like that is definitely something that we it's been a big part of our show since yeah. we've started you know like it's it's all about hearing other people's stories and and elevating other people's voices um, and it's in in what we do it's obviously very important but it's like the first time I'm thinking about like how how valuable and how important that can be in the in the sphere of like news media, you know, like yeah, like one of you guys were just saying, like okay, logistics. So Canada bought tons of vaccines. We're going to distribute it here, or there, and that's really important. And we need people on the everyday, obviously, like where are they going? Who's getting it? Blah blah blah, etc. But they always like needs that human element. You can't tell a story. You can't. Uh, you know, give trust to people or you can't even just get people to read something without a human element. It's really hard. You know, it's like, yes, the news media is objective, but what we also do is amplify voices in real life situations. So Mm -hmm. like a lot of the stories that we do and what I do in that column section in their own voices is I get people to write about that stuff from a lens that we haven't heard from, like the most voiceless and people who felt like they haven't had as much resources. So we get to understand that. And that's why the project, like I said, is it was really up to them what they wanted to say. I gave some few really open leading questions like, oh, maybe you could talk about how you felt right after. Did it hurt? Did it whatever? You know, just like those kind mm-hmm. of basic things. Mm-hmm. But I was like, do you have a message for the community? Do you have a message for people who are like as old as you? Whoever, whatever. You know, it was really like all the videos are different lengths. They're of different people and whatever they want to say. Some people spoke to their community directly. Some people, again, like I've said, Ron McCluster said, you know, it's uh, it was a really difficult decision. I almost didn't want to take it, but I felt like 
you know, in indigenous, uh, when we think about wellness in indigenous communities, it's about the bigger than us, you know, doing it for more than myself. And so it's just like having those real life humans talk about it is so much more important. Um, one thing I'll bring up is like, it wasn't the start of where I thought of this project, but it, midway in my project, I don't know if you guys saw in Ontario, our premier put out a video that was like a bunch of stay home in different languages. Mm. I don't know if you guys saw that, but yeah. it got I a lot of I think I saw heat. the French one yeah. and, and it was like, uh, <laughs> it was just really bad French. Well, it was really <laughs> that, bad that all thing, languages. Yeah, yeah. yeah right. like in, sure. Like in Cantonese, the mm. one that I, uh, you know, me and my, I showed it with my family. I knew what it, what he, I didn't know what he was trying to say, first of all. So I was like, well, right, what's he sure. trying to say? And then, what she came back with is like, oh, it kind of sounds like white people stay home. And she's like, uh, that's like a really messed up message. She's yeah, like, right? uh, what the hell is that? And so How could that was, make sense? Yeah. yeah. So white people stay home. And then like you're saying in Cantonese, so like the person taking it shouldn't stay home. So it was just really bad. And then yeah. in every other language too, like in Urdu and every other language, it was like kind of butchered, right? And the fact that you're saying stay home to a lot of the people that you're talking to who can't stay home is kind of like, uh, you know, to them, it's a slap in the face. Like, yeah. I want to stay home, but I work at a factory and you've said it's essential. And so how is that language video or campaign or whatever going to help? And so mm. during that, it was just funny that I had already put in like a month in thinking of these videos and started gathering it. But that came out and I was like, this is how we know. Like, it's so... Mm. Um, the messaging itself is wrong. Again, stay home. We know to stay home. Like, obviously, we know now wear a mask. Like, don't go meet in groups, whatever. But you're saying stay home to people who actually can't stay home at all. Like, they have to go to work and make rent, right? Yeah, so, there's no paid sick leave. Yeah, things yeah like that. not like not yet. And now there's like a discussion of it in Ontario. But it's, again, like mm. that kind of language-based thing that seemed to be like, Hey, look, we we're thinking of all of you. Like we are, th we're saying in all different languages. Look, it's this guy, our premier, doing it. Like butchered the languages first off, and then second of all, like yeah. had a message that didn't make sense for them, and it didn't like doesn't resonate. And so that's how during that I was like, oh, this is so important. Like, and we're getting from real people who have real life situations and different roles. Like, and it's not just going to be about. Uh, like a quick cute campaign where everyone's like yeah like you know when people go yeah, to school yeah, for yeah. like the anti-drugs it's not going to be like that it's going to be just a real account like i don't want anything other than that and so um you sure you don't want the group about. high five at the end you know <laughs> everyone high-fiving at once specifically in this scenario yeah though. yeah um, I, like following on following on jair's question about storytelling and then also you touched on language there and that was that's what uh my question is surrounding like what is the like from your perspective i think i know at least at least one angle of the importance of this but um talk about i'd like to know about the importance of the importance of telling these of of telling these stories uh in people's native language and and i guess I'll, maybe a second part to that question is like um is it, is there is it something beyond is it something beyond um making sure that f like People who are first generation people who are here are, are 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 you know who might not speak very great English mm. are are hearing it is is there also a component to um it like just like the cultural importance of like keeping an ancestral language like present in in the communities that are that are living in a place like Toronto that might not be that might not be hearing um, or seeing their language in print or like in circulation in in media very often. For sure. Like, and I'll, I'll start it off with just an anecdote. Like I remember I, I was, I grew up here. I can kind of speak Cantonese. I can understand. But like when I remember 
teachers at my school, like when there was a new student who's really a newcomer, they were speaking a different language because they didn't really know how to communicate, like just asking a question. Like there was always like that, you have to speak English here, like you can't speak that language. Which I always felt, felt like was really whack. Like I was like, they can't even, they're just trying to understand something. Like I'll try to help them, whatever. So that has always been something that's a thing. But I didn't, that kind of provoked me to think about like, you know, again, like you said, we want to preserve our languages. That's why, you know, we... I would hope as Canadians, we always say, oh, we're so multicultural. We love our different cultures. But like, we really have to understand that, like, when we speak to people, like, even if it's, you know, me and you speaking right now in a less formal situation, like, how important is the use of English for us? And, you know, even the swear word, like, fuck, like, those are important things. That's something that connects people, right? Like, Mm -hmm. it's a strange thing, but we need that language to really uh, get that message across for someone who's not an English speaker uh, or is can only speak a little bit. It feels like family when you have someone speaking to you in your language, right? It feels mm-hmm. like, uh, and it's that added layer knowing that you aren't the majority uh, language or whatever, but having that person's like, hey, I'm here. I live in the same place as you. I speak the same language as you. And I've gotten this vaccine or I'm telling you the story of why I got it. And it gives that familiarity and it's immediately yeah, like yeah. home more so than I can convey in yeah. someone else's mm-hmm. languages or anything. So yeah, that's, I think, I think I mean, that's I, truly important. I mean, I've tra- like, I, 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 I understand that from, I've traveled a lot and I know that when I have been in places that are places that are less remote, not big like city centers and English mm. is really just not very common at all. And then, and then, you know, you meet a traveler who speaks English or you or you like yeah. you find this like whole it's like an immediate sense of community that is yeah. like run yeah. by some, you know, you know, couple from the UK. And you're like, oh, shit. Now this feels this feels all, all of a sudden I feel more I feel more home because my language yeah. is there. But imagine, too, in terms of like authenticity, in terms of building trust and, and really having that message hit, like if it's somebody who natively speaks Urdu and they're they're speaking English in the video, there's probably some sense of like disconnect from the authenticity of the message Mm -hmm. if they're not speaking their actual, you know, first language and trying to connect with that, that audience. So it, it like that makes a lot of sense to me. I feel like it's way more meaningful hearing it in the native language than translating it to English. Yeah, totally. I mean, put yourself in the shoes of like, if you were in, I mean, you know, there's, there's plenty of, um, there's plenty of, I, I can't remember where I was. I was in, uh, I was in, I was in Zanzibar in, mm. uh, Tanzania and I was on this boat and I was sitting next to a guy and I think he was from Turkey or Hungary. I think he was from Hungary. And I was like, man, he didn't speak any English. And English is obviously the, the language that when you're traveling around the world is most present other than the language that they speak in that place. And I was like, man, how challenging it must be for you. Like you don't speak any of the language that they speak here. You don't speak any English, but me and him had this, like we were, we were having a conversation. He invited me to Hungary to stay at his place. We were just having a a Google translate conversation. Yeah. And I was like, and, and I just thought to myself, like, imagine if you found yourself in Hungary and they're not speaking any English at all, for example. And you're sitting there and there's a COVID message on and you're like. Yeah, you have no idea. <laughs> I don't, I don't know what the fuck's there's, going there's on. There's, actually, there's I, a pandemic? I think in, in terms of language, I think back to um, um, uh, I was when I was 19, I went to the Junior World Canoe Championships in, in uh, Czech Republic. And mm. on our on the Canadian team, there was uh, a couple of French guys and uh, we were in this 
restaurant in in Prague and uh I went to order something and I just started talking English to the <laughs> the waiter and he was he didn't understand and I was like like talking like loud and like making big like yeah, sounds and expressions with my mouth helps. like, like I would like the uh, like one yeah. beer please You're that person and yeah. uh, and he Christ. and he left I was 19 years old and uh, and Fair this enough. was an ignorant uh, this was a learning opportunity and so the French guy was sitting next to me a friend of mine Antoine he he said he laughed when the waiter left and I was like what's funny and he was like just English people yeah. <laughs> and I was like I was like yeah. what and he was like the audacity to to yeah. like just t- talk English at a person that you yeah. probably don't right. like. Yeah. And he was like, he he had like actually had tried to learn the language going there. And, I, and it hit me so deep. I was like, oh my fuck. Like yeah. I, that's so well, that's ignorant of me. Like, like I didn't even try to learn the language. That's, I didn't that's why the language, <laughs> that's why the language piece of this, I think is is so incredibly important and so incredibly important for uh, for us as English, uh, English as a first language uh, people mm-hmm. to understand is that we have been, we are historically just so like we just have such a privilege that English is everywhere. Yeah. Mm. And it's and it is something that we that we need to be like really cognizant of as Canada increasingly increasingly becomes more multicultural and there are more, like more communities from 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 all over mm-hmm. the world that are that are immigrating here and setting up in our first and second and third and fourth generation people here. Evie, uh, I'm I'm curious to know what what uh I mean What's next for in their own voices? Like, do you see this? Do you see this evolving into something greater than than the column that that exists on the star? Or, um, I mean, I honestly think that for this languages project, this one here, um, we've been asking people to send stuff in, and they have been. Like, there's a lot of people that want to do that. Um, it is so hard to keep up with things changing so much, which is yeah. like any database that you create newspaper wise is not going to really it's I mean, it's still in use, which is great, but it's not going to be as like um, widely accessible. The best we have done is like we've I've spoken to, you know, like people at the science table and doctors be like, oh, this is a really great example of what we can use to combat mm. vaccine hesitancy. And I'm like, that's great. Like, that's fine. I also hope it helps educate in some way, like about the differences and cultural nuances of each person, you know, and like really you get to kind of a snapshot of their lives and what they might be facing. So I think that's important. Um, and again, that's why we translated all of them in English, like subtitles so that, you know, people, anyone could ex- access it. Anyone could read it and understand a bit more about what the situation was going down. Um, what's next is that, you know, in their own voices, again, is a continued op-ed section that I have. And I love hearing pitches everywhere from across Canada. Um, and again, we I focus on identity and uh, racialized voices. But of course, we've done tons of stuff. So, you know, this year we talked to some people who wanted to write about why the at first, they were anti-vax. They they mm. said they were anti-vax, and suddenly mm. they became the first people to get AstraZeneca. So we have a really cool story on mm. that. Um, his situation was that he was from a really uh, from a religion that only believed in divine healing for a long time. So right. that's a not uh, that you know you don't go to the hospital if you're going to die. You don't do anything. So he's just going through that, so people get a better understanding. Um, out of COVID, though, even if we're talking about everything else and all the different systems. I mean, you know, a bit of an update, of course, is uh, I'm down for people to write about identity. And I think that's really important. Yes, we're going to talk vaccines top of mind. That's something that we all need. And that's like the only way we can see an end out of this. But I think um, there's always needs to be more room for more voices out here, like Mm -hmm. in their own voices, really like in their own voices. Now read it and see why it's really important. And I think that's um, how it came to be. And I'm so lucky, honestly, and fortunate to be the editor of this section because without 
like for me, I wish there was someone there to help platform these pieces. And basically, I just did a lot of these weird things to get to this position, which is great. Mm. I'm really happy. But, you know, I have to do some stuff with uh, writing about millennial columns. I still do. It's called Millennial Money. But it's basically, <laughs> uh, you know, just going through all the turns, knowing that, like, I need to do all this so I can get a platform for other people. And that's why it's really important for me. And hopefully we can do more in different languages. Uh, we will have something more coming on the star with different languages about more clarity around the vaccines with readers, um, you know, ask, actually asking readers of different communities what their biggest questions are and does include AstraZeneca and all that kind of stuff too. So cool. um, I'll be sure to share that with you guys, but I, I'm excited to do that as well. Yeah, it's awesome. Well, I mean, I got, I got to say, thank you so much for for taking time to sit down with us and explain and, uh, and, and unpack some of the work that you do. Um, I'm sure some of our listeners would love to know how they can keep up with the work that you do and where they can find in their own voices. Uh, why don't you just give our listeners a little a little rundown on on how they can do that? Yeah, for sure. So you can find me at Twitter, Instagram, all that stuff at Evy Stadium. Um, just Stadium, E-V-Y Stadium. That's where I'm at. But uh, there's no official page for In Their Own Voices, but if you do look up the hashtag In Their Own Voices on Twitter, you'll find all of the stories that we've worked on. Did a really good job trying to compile it and hashtags. I hate it myself, but like you'll find them all, which is worth it after like a year. So um, yeah, thank you guys so much for having me. It was really Dude. fun. Thanks a lot, Abby. Thank you. That is it for today. Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. If you like what you heard, make sure that you share our podcast with your friends. We love those extra ears. Sick Boy Podcast is a Snack Labs production. It is produced by myself, Jeremy Saunders, Taylor McGilvery, Brian Stever, and Lauren Sankey. Sound design is coming to you from Donovan the Meerkat Morgan. The music of the show is from our friend Rich O'Coin. And Sick Boy Podcast is managed by Jeffrey Lonis. That is it for today. I'm Brian. I'm Taylor. And I'm Jeremy. And this is Sick Boy. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.